We are back. It is the United Pubcast. It is your co-host, Larry. And look, you missed me on Sunday. I know you did. And I'm sorry I wasn't there. But Tom, tell me, how good was the pub, mate? You had the sunlight. You had the music playing in the background. I heard some forks and knives. Most importantly, what did you eat? What did I eat? A little bit of calamari. I obviously didn't eat during the podcast. I saved that for after. But um, a little bit of calamari. Fantastic. Good options. Did you have some chips on the side? No, I think Prem had wedges. I might have stolen a wedge or two when he wasn't watching, but um, I think Prem had wedges, but no, nothing on the side for me. All right, and for our English listeners, do you know if there was chicken salt on those wedges? Um, I'm not sure what he had, but I remember uh, Mr. McCullough, who we did have on the podcast, obviously didn't have a clue what it was. Yeah, so uh, if you're not from Australia and you're listening to this podcast, your homework is go to Google, type in chicken salt. Uh, S-A-L-T, because the last time I said this on the podcast, I had Adam McCullough saying chicken song. So we will not be doing chicken feet or any dancing of any sort today, but that is the homework for today. We digress. That was our pub theme. Time to get on to the football, Tom. So apparently the football is coming back. When did uh, when did the season end? Like five minutes ago and we're coming back already. Well, no, it, it seems to feel like that. Okay, the PSG Bayern Munich game only feels a couple of weeks ago, but it feels like United were months ago. And you, it's weird when you look how we actually did miss months. I think you know went three or four months without playing. So it really is a short turnaround, but it still feels like we've just done a full off season. In many respects, yeah, it does. I mean, uh, the actual Premier League that ended was it ended uh, no end of July. So yeah, a bit of a break. I mean, it is September, so. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's always good to have the football back. Speaking of United, uh, we are here to talk about, well, basically preview the upcoming Premier League season. We won't talk about Manchester United on this one, um, mainly because we're not playing this week and we're a sensible podcast. We're not, we're not drunk here at the pub. We're, we're, we're sensible, we're responsible. So what we'll do is let's look at our main competitors. Let's look at the rivals that are to us. Um, in terms of challenging for the title, maybe in your eyes, challenging us for top four positions. We shall see, but let's look into it and we will touch on United next week uh, as we build up to the opening game against Crystal Palace. So if we're going to talk United, uh, to touch on at least, Tom, uh, Mason Greenwood, um, he's been graced with the number 11 shirt and He's fitting right in because when you think of number 11 and you think of Ryan Giggs, Anthony Martial, uh, there's something that those fellas do have form on and uh, Greenwood sort of followed sweet. He's gotten himself into a little bit of trouble while on English duty with um, also a fellow Mancunian in uh, Foden from City and invited some Icelandic women back to their hotel. They have then unfortunately for them been kicked out of the camp. What are your thoughts here? Well, if you compare it to the number 11 shirt, you look at the troubles Ryan Giggs obviously ran into and sort of more recently Anthony Martial has found himself into. I have no problem with what Mason Greenwood did in regards to the issue with the girls. That, that's no issue. He's a young kid. Uh, from what I've read, he's single. Phil Foden, on the other hand, apparently is, is in a relationship and has a kid of his own. So Mason Greenwood's issue there of having a few girls over to his hotel room is not an issue at all. Fair play to him. The issue, obviously, is the quarantine, um, breaking the quarantine rules. That is the issue. And in the, obviously, current climate we live in, that is a big issue to break. So um, he's sort of rightly punished, but I don't think... I think the issue has been missed. I think the issue a lot of people are talking about is how, how dare he have a few girls over his hotel room. That's not an issue for me. Okay, he's a young kid away on international duty. Do what you want. He obviously, in quarantine, though, 
yeah, that can't be done, and that is his big mistake, and that is what he's been punished for. It's interesting you say that. I mean, because the perspective coming out, I think this has only broken in the last few hours. Uh, Southgate has actually said they would have been sent home irrespective of COVID or not, um, suggesting that the, the issue here is you're using uh, basically team facilities or your status as a footballer and inviting the girls back to the hotel. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, from my perspective, I just think if it's your own house, I have no issue with it, of course. But this is, at the end of the day, they are an international duty. And to use the hotels, which are for footballing purposes, do you not think that there's a bit of an issue in that area? Yeah, no, I can see that. And it's definitely not ideal by Greenwood. However, I'm telling you, this happens in every single team, every single trip a team goes on. This happens. Okay, Greenwood photo have been caught, two young English kids, England need a little bit of controversy, and you add on to the fact, I think the real controversy is the quarantine issue. I think that is where um, it does become a very serious issue. But you can't put your head in the sand and think this doesn't happen often. I am telling you, this happens on every away trip the team will go on. 18-year-olds flirting with women? Unheard of. Doesn't happen. Uh, in terms of Mason Greenwood, obviously a big learning curve for him. Uh, do you think from a Manchester United perspective, is that, is that a concern for Oli, or do you think it's just purely a young guy making a young, dumb, stupid decision? Um, and then from his perspective, it's maybe just providing a little bit of guidance. And in fact, does it put him in sort of risk in terms of, may, of course not his status in the team, but perhaps is it just a kick up the backside just to remind him to keep his head on track? Yeah, it's one of those, and obviously us as football fans or Man United fans will try and take the positive from it, and we will take the positive. And say, well, it's something he's got, he's going to make a mistake eventually. Let the mistake be now. Let the mistake be on England duty, not with Man United, and he'll obviously learn from. It. He has to learn from it, and I think it's a shame. I wouldn't say a shame, but we talked on the last podcast about how well United have protected him, and suddenly has gone on England duty, and England are just I wouldn't say thrown him to the wolves, especially in the press conference they did in terms of sort of exposing him to those stupid questions. But also, would this have happened? You haven't heard anything like this from Greenwood when he's been away with Man United. As soon as he's out on England duty, where's the England security in terms of stopping people getting to the hotel? It hasn't happened at United. So I think it shows United in a good light in the way they have protected their young players. As soon as they go out on England duty, all hell breaks loose. So again, Greenwood does need to take responsibility. I'm not, not shying away from that. But um, I don't think England is sort of faultless in this. Yeah, I'd agree there. Um, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but you have to say, um, Phil Foden definitely showed why he's a creative midfielder. To think how to get around security protocols to get those women into the hotel, that would take some, some wit. So credit where it's due. Tom, let's rip into the actual football, uh, the Premier League season in terms of previews and the transfers that the clubs around United have made. Let's start with the reigning champions, uh, Liverpool, um, the, the, the those with six fingers, as I like to refer to them as. Um, they haven't really made a lot of investment, have they? They, they signed the young Greek defender. I, I don't even know his name, and I'm not going to look it up if I'm being honest with you, but he's a young left back. Um, other than that, there's not really much happening. Obviously, the links continue with Thiago as they are with United. Um, do you see them holding or in a position to retain their title? Or do you think it's just a little, maybe a little naive to think that they can go into this season without a transfer? I think any discussion with Liverpool, and I remember this last year, I think last year they really only signed that young kid from Fulham, Harvey Elliott, and we all sort of all, all had that hope that they didn't invest enough, but they also had that heavily heavy investment only a few months earlier with the likes of Allison and Van Dyke. 
And I think a lot of people do forget we all want the shiny new toy, a new player, a new player to come and fix things. Well, if you sign a player a year ago or two years ago, they're still a new player. You don't buy them just for one year. You don't spend $75 million on Van Dyke for a season. You spend that $75 million for four or five seasons. So they still have invested heavily. Previously, they've still got Fabinho, Naby Keita, obviously Allison and Van Dyke. So the investment has been there. There's no just no shiny new toy. However, we know as United fans, when you are strong, you do have to improve because things will eventually, and obviously from United's point of view, we hope, we hope things will go stale. And I think with a manager like Klopp, he's so intense. We've seen it under Pep Guardiola, players can get a little bit burnt out. Hopefully the message under Klopp does become a little bit too, I'd say a little bit irritating to players in terms of hearing the same thing and that intensity hopefully, again, hopefully, sort of does burn them out. And I think the only way to sort of keep things fresh is to invest. And look, obviously, Thiago is the heavily linked player and you'd assume it'll probably get done. And we'll get into Manchester City in a bit, but I probably do think even taking the way United had off, they aren't in the strongest position in terms of yeah, moving forward. I think they will, or the, the signs so far do look like they're going to stagnate a little bit. I might just ask you about your who you think will win the title at the end. But, um, yeah, I definitely don't disagree with you. The counter-argument I would have to them going stagnant is they, they do play... A, obviously, they played with such success. And I just... This is me, obviously, I'm biased here. But I think with the... If I look at their midfield, it's functional, but it's not brilliant. And Thiago would really elevate the way that they play. Because if you have... Uh, someone like Van Dyke and even Gomez to an extent who are good on the ball. You've obviously got those very attacking fullbacks in Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think if they could just add someone like Thiago who's got the ability to play from deep, it'll just allow them to play through midfield a little bit more and stop bypassing the midfield, which means that as a defence, you're going to have to think extra hard when you verse Liverpool. And it is quite a frightening prospect. Do you think, think there, where you mentioned sort of the yeah. functionality of their midfield and how well they work together, they have a feeling, again, we, who knows how the transfer circus will sort of pan out. It depends on this player goes there, which means that player can go to that club. But it looks like if Thiago is to come in, it's going to be at the expense of Genie Wijnaldum going to Barcelona. And if you speak to any Liverpool fan, maybe not the strongest name in that midfield, but a lot of them really rate Genie Wijnaldum and his importance to that midfield. And do you think it'll be a case of, well, on paper... They're replacing Wijnaldum with a better player in Thiago. However, it won't just quite click. Wijnaldum just clicks with them. No, I don't think so. I can understand from a Liverpool perspective why you value Wijnaldum. Is that sort of player that plays with a high energy, a high tempo, which you know fits in with their style. He's obviously a very creative player and chips in with a few goals. And I think he just complements that system really well. Um, if I were to compare it to someone who United have seen in the past, he's almost like their Park Ji-sung, someone who fits a system. Uh, maybe not the most brilliant player in the world, but very effective. And I think if they can get Thiago, what you lose in Wijnaldum, you just elevate your team in terms of class. And like I said, I just think it, it'll provide them that flexibility in the midfield um, to just to play a different style of football, which will give them an option an option B, basically. They've been lucky with the last season. I think the biggest challenge for Liverpool now will be teams are going to start to figure you out. Obviously, if you stay the same, 
you become easier to defend against. And that's why Fergie was always so well-renowned. It's because he always brought in one or two players just to bring that point of difference every season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But moving on, a team that hasn't uh, failed to do some investment is uh, Manchester City. And uh, they've started well in terms of the transfer window. They've signed Nathan Ake. Uh, they've obviously signed uh, Torres um, from in, in La Liga. Um, they continue to be linked with uh, Koulibaly. So they have made some movements. Um, what do you think of Manchester City? Uh, do you expect them to start challenging for that title again? I think they have to, and I'm not sure what the situation will be with Pep Guardiola and how much pressure he'll be under. But last season for them, obviously, and that they City could have had a fantastic season last year and still finish runners up to Liverpool. That's how good Liverpool were. However, I think all things considered, City were a massive failure last season under Pep Guardiola, and I don't know how many eggs they put in the Lionel Messi basket for this transfer window, but that's obviously gone to hell at the moment. I think Koulibaly coming in though. I think if they were managed, if they managed to get him, because I remember every time United play City, when City get the ball, they look. Up, Unbelievable! They look so good going forward. However, every time United got the ball against them last season, you thought, hang on, we might score here. Remember that game at the Etihad, which we've talked about recently. When we got the ball in our 18-yard box, looking sort of 80, 90 metres away from goal, we looked dangerous. We looked, hang on, we can get at this back four because they were just so weak defensively. There was a new back four every week for Manchester City. But I think if they do get Koulibaly, it could almost be their sort of what Van Dyke was for when Liverpool, when Liverpool signed Van Dyke, He could make all the difference, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I mean, look, they've signed OK, which is definitely an improvement. I think, obviously, uh, Laporte is the strength of that defence. Um, Torres will obviously add some class on the right. Uh, I mean, he is a right winger by trade from what I've seen him at Valencia, but admittedly, not a lot. Um, they have signed a few right backs, but no one of really note are Kuto and Kabore. I don't know who either of those players are. Do you? I don't know, they seem to sign seven fullbacks every transfer window, so... Honestly, yeah. So I'm with you. If they, if they get Koulibaly, I think they're the real deal, but with what they've signed so far, did they really need a winger? No. Um, did Nathan Ake? Yeah, I think he's a solid player, but is he? does he walk into United's starting um, defence? I don't think so. So if they do sign Koulibaly, I think that's a serious prospect, but at the moment, just the way they play... Uh, to your point, I think that's the thing. You can get at them. They're obviously such a possession-dominant, um, high-press team that if you do set up correctly and you can withstand that pressure, there is space to get them on the counter-attack. But again, if they do get Koulibaly with Laporte, that is quite a strong centre-back partnership. So we do expect them to challenge for the title. Whether you have them winning or not, you might just have to wait till the end of the podcast to find out. Tom, a team that has invested heavily... Chelsea, geez, um, you want to talk about playing career mode in real life. Chelsea FC have definitely done that. Roman Abramovich, he's been, you know, there's been suggestions he's looking to sell the club. Don't worry about any of that. He's just signed Kai Havertz for around 80 to 90 million pounds. Timo Werner from uh, RB Leipzig, who's obviously very prolific. They've signed Ben Chilwell from Leicester, Hakim Ziyech from Ajax, and Malang Saar on a free transfer who's a, a centre-back. And notably, they've signed Thiago Silva who, at 37, yeah, maybe not going to play a lot of football, but it's a hell of a lot of good leadership to bring into the football side. What do you make of their transfer window? Is it that they are ready to, in fact, challenge for the title, or could it be too much too soon? I think not not enough people are talking about that too much too soon. I think, and again, like I said with Liverpool, maybe this is more sort of hope than sort of sort of educated opinion, but... 
I hope it is too much too soon because we joke about it and say, oh, he's playing football manager, he's playing FIFA career mode. But it does seem like that. And how many players... These aren't bench players he's bringing in. These aren't squad rotation options. He's bringing in a new team. And look, the new team might click and they might be fantastic. They might go on to win the league. Chelsea often do that. They go from nothing to winning the league, back to nothing, back to winning the league. That's sort of the, the cycle they'll do. And potentially they could go on and do that. I don't have them winning the league, but you sort of you wouldn't put it past them. It's um, definitely not going to be the case when Le- Leicester won the league. No one saw that coming. I think people could definitely see Chelsea winning the league. But it's just too too many changes, I think, because... Out of say say a team makes five signings, how many signings do you expect to be long term good signings? You'd say maybe you're doing well if three are. Four would be a fantastic transfer window. What are they bringing in? Seven or eight first team players, and I just think again a lot a lot of it might be hope, but I just think it's too much too soon because how many of the players are first season in the Premier League as well? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, look, it'll be interesting to see how they go. I think it's going to go one way or the other. They'll obviously be brilliant. And they'll really cement themselves in that top four, or it really won't work out. And you know what? This is really going to speak to Lampard's character because what the the other side of this is, yeah, you've brought in good players, but it means that you're going to have an unsettled dressing room who realise that they're going to need to start competing for positions or maybe feel that their positions are under threat. We've already seen Mason Mount come out a little bit and with a bit uh, some concern around the Havertz signing or rumours of discontent so it'll be very interesting to see how he manages that he's obviously got a young striker in Tammy Abraham who wants to fight for his position so credit to him but yeah I just it could be a bit of too much too soon maybe it's hopeful but is there a case and again I don't think this happened there's far worse managers and far worse clubs than Chelsea but the way Roman Abramovich has pulled the trigger of the past got he sacked Jose Mourinho twice for God's sake could you see Lampard potentially being on the chopping block by Christmas time if things don't turn out well? If they're not in the top four by Christmas, that's the only likelihood where I could say potentially he pulls the trigger. Uh, you'd say no, only because of who it is. Um, this is a fan favourite, remember. So the fans won't be quiet or exactly pleased to see the, to see the back of him quickly. That They will be more patient with him. And that's well, potentially I understand why the fans will, but I want from sort of rival fans in terms of the football banter sort of atmosphere, but also the media, the amount of stick Solskjaer got for drawing a game or losing a game, the amount of money Lampard has spent here. If Lampard drops a point, everyone needs to have the same energy towards Lampard as they did Solskjaer last season. But, but that's what happen, Tom. With that money spent, shouldn't be dropping a point. I'm with you, but that that's just not going to happen because... And I, I'm not saying this as a United fan. It's just the truth. We are the biggest football club in England. It, it, in my eyes, the world. People are obsessed with Manchester United. So even if, like, if you look at last season, people say Lampard didn't have a transfer window. I'd argue his team was better than United's at the start of the season. His midfield definitely was. Would you disagree with, with that statement? Yeah, yeah. Kovacic, I, I think all of Kante, us had Chelsea finishing above United, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. But yet, Lampard went through scat-free. Solskjaer didn't even get nominated for uh, manager of the season, but Lampard did. Mm. And I just I find that outrageous. So my point is to you, Lampard might struggle through. He might do great. Who knows? But the point is, United are held at a, at a different level than Chelsea, rightly or wrongly. And I feel like that that's going to be the case this season. Do I, think, I actually don't think Chelsea are going to do well. I, I think they might, they might scrape into the top four. 
But I don't see them finishing any higher than fourth. I really don't. And I, purely because, one, I don't think Lampard's the supposed managerial genius that he's being proclaimed to be or portrayed to be, I should say. Secondly, I just feel like that that is a lot of players, particularly in attacking positions, to come in at one point in time. Now, if you want to play a certain structure or style, that's a lot of work and that's a lot of goodwill that needs to go your way. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And look, good luck to him. But I, my personal view is I don't think it'll go well, but I'll probably I'll, be I'll eating shit. I'd love to see the much. Chelsea fans turn on him. I'd love to see it. Oh, they're capable of it. They, they, they turn coats pretty quickly. Speaking of turncoats and people who change their mood quickly... Uh, let's move on to Tottenham. Uh, Jose Mourinho, who another one who you could say, you know, that's a reputation that's really, it's really on the line now, isn't it? He, he had an unsuccessful finish to the way he left Chelsea. Didn't work out at United. Last season, obviously, he celebrates making the Europa League as if he won the Champions League. But he's made a few astute signings, I would say. Um, there were rumours Tottenham wouldn't have a transfer budget this season. However, they've managed to get in uh, Lo Celso. They've managed to get in um, the Southampton midfielder. I'm going to butcher this surname. Uh, Hobjerg? Have I said that right? I think it's Hoiberg, I think. Hoiberg? <laughs> oh, well, who knows? Sorry, guys. We're, we're not experts. And if I'm being honest, I don't know what nationality is. However, I've seen him play, and he's definitely the most important uh, midfielder that Southampton have had. So I think that that's a very astute signing. Um, and they've managed to sign Matt Tahirti from um, from Wolves, so that's a good deal. And then they've got in Joe Hart, who I imagine will be a backup. I can't, um, I can't believe that signing. That came out of the blue because you'd assume he'd be on decent little wages, Joe Hart, and he's coming in as third choice goalkeeper. So um, doesn't make exactly make much sense to me. But Jose Mourinho does love a third choice goalkeeper, so he does. I think it's just more for experience in the dressing room. Um, I mean, if you look at that squad. You've had some experience leaving, say, Vertonghen. Um, I expect Danny Rose to leave, so perhaps it's just for an older head or a senior head in the dressing room. But nonetheless, what do you make of their signings, uh, particularly in the midfield? I feel like he's he's made some good signings there. I just think it's weird. I think you do have to talk about Tottenham and sort of over the Tottenham issue. It's a Jose Mourinho club. And I just think it doesn't make any sense. And it goes back to when Mourinho arrived at Tottenham. I just It made no sense. And the signings now... Well, I'd say they're Mourinho-type signings in terms of the sort of the identity of a player he wants. I just think they're sort of B-grade Mourinho players in terms of they're not exactly who he wants there. He's getting a 20 million player from Southampton. He wants the 50 million player from Chelsea sort of thing. I just don't think... It just has written in tears. Sort of, it's going to end in tears, I think. It's just written in the stars. And again, I don't know how that plays out. I don't know how Tottenham are in a position to sack him considering what he will cost to get rid of. However, if if it does go to sort of if it does go to pot under Jose Mourinho, I don't know how Tottenham really survive under him. So, so survive in terms of moving forward, obviously they're going to be safe from any relegation battle. But um, it's just I don't understand this. And there's this whole all all or nothing documentary on like Netflix or whatever it is with, and it seems to be a Jose Mourinho special. And I'm not sure. It just doesn't sit right with me. It sits right because I want to see them sort of fail. But it it just doesn't make any sense at all to me what's happening at Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm being honest with you, I think these are astute signings. I don't think they're brilliant. But who well, knows? I think Jose Mourinho needs brilliant signings, though. I'm with you, and that's the thing. I just I looked at them last season, and they just really lacked, particularly in midfield. There just wasn't. There was a real lack of creativity, and if I look at if I just think of the Jose Mourinho team, for him to really trust his sides to attack, he needs the 
an unbelievable midfield and an incredible defence. He's let Vertonghen leave. We haven't seen another centre-half come in. And Doherty's hardly going to really tidy up the defence there. So, again, astute signing. But, okay, let, let me put it to you this way. Is he in a job by Christmas? Well, like I said, I just don't... Look, I'm no financial expert, but I don't see how Spurs can sack him and pay him what he's going to have to be paid and not have him in a job. So I think they're going to have to stick with him. But again... I have a feeling... Look, they probably should stick with him in terms of there won't be a better manager out there for them. But, yeah, I don't see them challenging. I think they'll challenge for the top four, but I would have them as very sort of outside favourites, outside chance to get into the top four. I think they will be what they finish this season, sort of in around sixth and seventh place. Do you think there's an over... Before we move on from Tottenham, do you think there's still an issue in terms of an over-reliance on Harry Kane, considering his injury record... Do you think they'd be smart to get at least some sort of second-string striker? Yeah, well, I think any player is always going to sort of be over-reliable on their best player. and Whether he's their best player or not, he's their best goal scorer. And I think, look, we're going to make a case where over-reliant on Anthony Martial. I think Man City could say they're over-reliant on Aguero, Liverpool on Salah, etc. That's always going to be the case. However, I think it is sort of, as you suggested, sort of a little bit highlighted with Tottenham and Harry Kane and... Yeah, look, Harry Kane is good for an injury or two, so I think they do need... But again, if uh, Harry Kane gets injured, a sign-in at the moment with Tottenham, making they would make a good sign-in for a backup player, but is that what Mourinho needs? He, he needs more than a good backup player. He needs the finished article. He needs someone who is going to come in and do the job. Um, I'm not sure Tottenham have the players to do that in backup. I'm with you. I'm going to say they finish seventh. What do you think? Um, that would be brilliant brilliant to watch um, I'll have to buy the subscription to whatever the Mourinho documentary is on yeah that, that one's going to be nothing or nothing else so um, yeah I'm looking forward to that one and uh, speaking of nothing and nothing else um, Arsenal um, th- they're a whole bunch of nothing I mean all they do is win the FA Cup celebrate they're going to celebrate Aubameyang's contract extension as if they've won the Premier League but Tom they've uh, they've made a couple signings this se- uh, for the upcoming season they've the most notable one being uh, Gabriel from Lille, the, the centre-back who United were linked with. Um, they've, been, they've signed um, Pablo Mari um, in the last season. Uh, Soares or Soares from Southampton um, on a free. And most notably, Willian from Chelsea on a free transfer. Uh, what do you make of their signings? Do you think they are on an upward trajectory? And is this the season where you think they can actually start to make the top four or at least challenge for the top four? Because last season was very underwhelming, wasn't it? No, it was underwhelming for them, not for me. But I don't. I think we have to look at them. So United have all, almost accepted where we've been over the past seven years. We've been in around th- sort of fourth, fifth, sixth. We've sort of had to accept that. Hopefully we have eyes to push on further. However, you, you do look at Arsenal. When was the last time they were in the Champions League? I think Arsenal fans, and we all accept they're a Europa League team now. And I think the signings they have just made are... Look, Gabriel might be good. He's obviously linked with United, and I think any defender at the moment potentially improves them. But who knows? He could be another David Luiz. He's obviously looked good in the past and turned out to be not so good. But I just think their signings say that's what they are. They're they're Europa League signings, in my opinion. I think William, a couple of years ago, can do a job in a very good team. But is he someone that's going to go into sort of a failing Arsenal team and kick them on? I'm not sure. And again, I said this with sort of Liverpool and City and Chelsea. The Aubameyang contract, which does look like it's going to be announced, 
okay, short term might be very good, but I have a feeling, and again, hope, it might not turn out to be great business long term because I assume we'll probably be on a three-year deal. What's he going to be like in two, three years in terms of their captain, their leader, their best player? Is he going to be the same player? Is he, they're going to try and have to get rid of him? Are they going to sort of neglect investing in that sort of number nine position? So I think, as you say, Arsenal fans are going to celebrate this deal in the next week or two. However, I think if you dig a little bit deeper, it might... Look, I think it's good business. They need their best player. But I don't think it's going to be as, sort of, as pretty business as they think. Yeah, I mean, I think Gabriel's one that really does have the potential to be a good signing. Willian, I think it would be a good signing for, say, a United, where we know he won't play week in, week out. What I, th- what I see Arsenal doing is they're going to try and play him as if he's 25 instead of 31 or whatever he is. They're going to play him every week. He's going to get burnt out. He's not going to be able to back up game after game, and then his form's going to drip. Do, uh, it's going to drop off. And then I could just see them starting strong, but then I could really see them falling off. Um, I think they've shown signs of improvement under Arteta, but like you say, I just I feel like those are Europa League signings, and for that, they're going to finish in the Europa League. Yeah, no, can't disagree. And again, um, that'll be fantastic to watch. Um, they're, they're obviously the first game in the Premier League, 9.30 this Saturday night in Sydney time, so a um, good one to stay tuned for, and I'm hopefully watching Arsenal Fan TV um, at full time. Oh, yeah, I'll have my popcorn ready, and um, I'll have a bucket ready to catch the Arsenal tears that fall, uh, fall by not long after. Uh, Tom, lastly, it'd be wrong of us not to talk about Leeds, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. We just saw before we went on air, um, someone sent me a message saying Julian Draxler is linked with them. And again, I, I don't think it's come from the most reliable outlets, but... Look, we've obviously gone through all sort of the title challenges or the top four challenges. Obviously, the Leeds won't... Well, we assume Leeds won't be in that position. Who knows? Sheffield United weren't in that discussion this time last season, but here we are. But um, it's an interesting one. Leeds obviously signed a Valencia striker as well for, I think, 30 or 40 million, which is crazy money. And um, I think Leeds are worth a, sort of their space in this discussion, not so much through the footballing point of view, but just of who they are. I think maybe I'll spin a question back to you in terms of we, we talk about Liverpool, we talk about City, Chelsea and Arsenal in terms of the rivalry and what those rivalry means and how they've come about. And I just look at, okay, City, Liverpool's our biggest rival. Some people in Manchester might hold it as City. However, I think the Leeds rivalry is forgotten about and the reason I spin it to you is obviously a little bit younger than me. I'm not sure the last time you would have really seen Man United versus Leeds, maybe the FA Cup tie in 2010. And I'm sure there's been a League Cup tie since then as well. But sort of what does the lead rivalry mean to you in terms of where does it rank for you? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And I think this the answer would differ based on your age. I think if you spoke to, uh, spoke to spectators or fans who have grown up through the 90s, they'd definitely have leads right up there. For myself, um, it's, it's one that I've had to educate myself on more so than catching by eye. To your point... Um, I mean, they were falling well out of the Premier League by the time I was just entering my teenage years. So, again, unfortunately, I didn't get to really understand the rivalry too much um, in my younger years. However, you look at the signings we've made, particularly um, in the 90s, I think the Cantona signing really did make a big difference. Um, uh, who There was one other big one that we got from Leeds, and it's escaping me right now. Rio Ferdinand was the big one as well. Yeah, we've got Ferdinand... We managed to start nipping their players when they were starting to fall apart. And then, obviously, they fell, they fell out. Um, there's obviously... Um, I, I think of, like, Roy Keane and th- those sorts of moments. And 
I don't know, I just... It's not as big of a game for me. Um, perhaps, again, just because of my age. I guess I, I'd bring it back to you. And I've, But I have read about the history. I know that, obviously, there, there is a big history between Lancashire and Yorkshire. Um, the Battle or the War of the Roses, as they like to call it, um, in terms of the kings of, in Northern England at the time. So there's definitely a rivalry, in, in not just between the football clubs, but within the cities, much like uh, Manchester and Liverpool. Um, so I guess I'd ask you back to return the question. Um, are you looking forward to hopefully Leeds getting relegated? Well, it's one of those ones. You obviously you do want to see them get relegated. However, you do miss the fixtures. So if they get relegated, it goes away. It might go away for another fifteen or sixteen years, however long they're out. So you do want them in the league for those big games. However, in terms of the rivalry, there is a hatred and. I made the point a few weeks ago, when we play City or Liverpool, there's, before the build-up there's that hatred, then the game kicks off and you're emotional and you're thinking about everything, but eventually after 10-12 minutes the football takes over and you start looking at the opposition and say, okay, if we bring this player on, okay, we can exploit them there, and you have your football brain on. With Leeds, it is just 90 minutes of hatred, the football literally goes out the window, you're not thinking about any of it, and... Yeah, look, Liverpool's still the bigger rivalry for me, but I think playing against Leeds, the emotion is more intense. And I remember we were in Perth last year, and again, it's a pre-season match, but Leeds had a big contingent there. A lot of a lot of fans travelled out over from England to Perth for the for the Leeds part of the um, tour, mm. and you could feel it in the street. There was a hatred. Like I have, we've all got mates who support other clubs. We know Arsenal mates. Okay, poor choice of club. They're good people. We know Liverpool fans, okay, horrible club. But you know deep down, okay, they're good people, good friends. I have never come across a nice person who supports Leeds. So many of them racist. And again, that's, that's not generalising. Pretty much all of them, like, they're so heavily involved in some of the Munich stuff that's still going around. Um, the, the, they definitely don't shy away from that. We saw it firsthand in Perth, like the whole away and sort of had sort of paper aeroplanes thrown around um, in the concourse area. And... There is just a... Sh- it's a hatred, and there's no other word. A lot of people say, oh, hate's a strong word. You can't really use that. You can be a bit emotional and dislike. But I think that's nonsense. I think it's just a sheer hatred, and, yeah, can't wait to batter them. Um, Bielsa. There's a lot of talk of Bielsa football. Have you had a chance to watch Leeds um, in the last few years, and can you give some insight into our listeners on what Bielsa football is? Look, they do play good football, to be fair to them, and a lot of that does obviously come down to Bielsa. We obviously saw that firsthand when they, um, Athletic Bilbao, um, and Herrera took United to the cleaners in the Europa League those seasons ago. But um, it's quite a shame that they have such a charismatic and sort of, I'd say, likeable manager um, in charge of Leeds because he does play good football and he does get the best out of players. But I think, again, in the Premier League, if things don't go well, I'm not sure how he will... Um, cope under that pressure in terms of when he's been at Leeds he's been sort of fighting for promotion fighting for titles that won't be the case this season so when he's had four or five losses on the bounce I'm not sure how that type of football and how that type of management will go I'm not sure if he's been in that position in his career so um, look they do play good football on the front foot and sort of a high intense a lot of movement but um Again, I couldn't really give a toss about Bielsa do hope they get relegated or, or maybe give them a little bit of hope on to the last day but then get relegated. Well, wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. Um, I look, you know, I, I'm going to call it right now. I think Marcus Rashford scores a double against these guys, and I think we're going to win three 0 Well, I, I think you'll this. be surprised. And again, a, a lot might depend on if fans are in the stadium or not, or whether that be a full stadium, which is unlikely, or at the sort of twenty five percent. 
but I think people who haven't witnessed the game, and it, even through your TVs, that's fine. I think if you haven't witnessed the game, you will feel a different intensity about it. And again, the players do change. A lot of the Leeds players and the United players probably haven't played that game before. But um, I think a lot of people will be surprised how intense it is and how much, you know, as I said, the, the word might get boring, but it's true how much hatred there is in the build-up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I've got to say, I think um, I've seen glimpses of Calvin Phillips, uh, the midfielder. I, I rate him, mate. I think he's a good footballer. I really do. Um, in saying that, um, are they going to finish 18th, 19th or 20th? Uh, any of them will please me but again I said I probably don't want them to get relegated because I want this fixture every season but um, after just talking about them for two or three minutes uh, I wouldn't mind seeing them losing 38 from 38 and um, breaking all types of records on their way back to the championship love it Tom that's why I have you here mate you're impartial as always fantastic Um, in all honesty I don't see them finishing top 10 but I could see them just below that Um, I actually think they'll survive comfortably but one to keep an eye on, and uh, I think that's where we'll leave it. Um, wait, how could I? How could I dare do this, Tom? Who's winning the title? I thought you got to go to Everton, and they're um, probably the biggest signing of the transfer window. Ah, uh, well, yeah, we probably should do that too. Um, all right, we'll, we'll go there. Um, Everton, sorry, mate, I forget. I forget the small clubs. What can I say? Um, James Rodriguez or James Rodriguez? I don't even know what his name is anymore. Um, he's he's obviously going to Everton. They they've managed to sign Decore, which I would have taken at United um, about I don't know three years ago. Um, so I mean that's some good transfer business. But on the surface of it, if I'm being honest, I just don't think that the Rodriguez one particularly. I just don't see it as good business. I think he's had his injury problems. He's been inconsistent for a good number of years now, and the Decore. I think that's a good signing, but. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel inspired by this. Well, yeah, Decore is definitely... A, I agree with you. He's a player I would have at United. But the Rodriguez one is just... It's so fascinating to watch because if he went to a big club, there would sort of be a really big fanfare. And um, obviously, he's obviously a massive star in South America, in Spain. And you'd try and sort of clutch the positives and sort of cling to the positives and say, OK, he's fantastic. He could play here if he's fit. We can get this out of him. But when he signed to Everton in sort of the manner that he has, it's... Something the Everton fans should be sort of celebrating, you'd think, but I think everyone, even Everton fans themselves, are a little bit just just sort of shrugging the shoulders and say, okay, here's what it is. That's a typical sign in Everton. It's almost an acceptance that he'll just, I don't want to say flop in a bad way, but there's just a underlying sort of realisation that, okay, he'll come in, he'll score a free kick or two, but overall maybe the Premier League will be a bit too quick for him and we sort of... In two, three years, we'll be thinking, God, why'd Rodriguez go there? His career sort of fell off a cliff after the 2014 World Cup. But um, again, it's a good signing for them. And I think what it does do for a club like Everton is it gives them that chance in a one-off game. It's why the league, I think, will be or is getting closer. Obviously, a points difference suggests otherwise. But I think the quality amongst the teams is getting closer in regards to sort of one-off games. I think if, let's say, Everton against Chelsea, if it's a close game and one team, the ball falls to Rodriguez on the edge of the box suddenly Everton in the driving seat and potentially take points off Chelsea. So I think it's an interesting signing in um, that regard in terms of bringing that um, gap closer in regards to the sort of top 10 teams to the top four teams. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's... I think he what, what he does do is he puts Colombian fans um, in, into Everton, doesn't he? I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, and I think there is an element of that to this signing. It's a bit of a... 
what United used to have is the Galactico signings. Um, someone who, you know, will obviously attract fans. Um, but nonetheless, um, I think he'll have his moments of brilliance. But yeah, like you say, I just, it's not one that I think is very inspiring. But well, Jorge, yeah, de- 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 definitely yeah. wouldn't criticise the sign, but it's a little bit just shrug the shoulders. Okay, here's what it is. Should be bigger yeah. than what it is. Yeah, I'm with you. It's definitely not 2014 post-World Cup, James uh, Rodriguez. Um, and uh, Tom, so yeah, back back to the title. Um, who, who's going to win this one? Look, sadly, definitely not celebrating this, but um, I think I'll probably go Man City. I just, I just think the pressure with Pep with something to prove, and I'd say almost potentially job on the line, um, and hopefully Liverpool stagnation. And again, I'm just not going to pick Liverpool, even if they are favourites. Um, I would opt for City. But who knows? God, Leicester won the title once, so who knows? Maybe United could be the dark horse. Oh, wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, I was just actually going to say to you, um, Liverpool, if they win, they actually go to 20 titles, and that would put them equal with us. And that is a frightening prospect, and I really do not want to do that. Yeah, that is why I just threw on my sky blue shirt and all aboard the City train. Yeah, I love it. Good work. All right, and on that note, I think we'll leave the podcast there. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, if you are holding your phone, which you probably are, or you could be holding something else if you like to, you know, listen to a podcast and get off that sort of thing. But nonetheless, pick up your phone, go to iTunes and give us a five-star review because that means more people join us in the pub. And, of course, that's what we want. We're a good little community here. We like to get our fans on, as you would have heard if you listened to our last podcast. We're, we're, a pub, we're a podcast that allows our fans to come on, have their say, And of course, stay tuned with us. Um, We will preview United next week. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And what we've told you, we think uh, think City are going to win the title. So where do we think United will finish? We'll let that all let loose next week. Tom, pleasure as always. And we'll catch you next time, mate. Pleasure. Cheers.